Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day. 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 178. I always tell my clients that, you know, this is going to be the last time I do not know the answer. And I kind of liken it to my approach towards real estate. This is going to be the last time I make the mistake because I'm going to learn from it. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Brandon? Not much, Josh Dorkin. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Just, you know, neck's a little floppy here. <laughs> for those who are not watching the YouTube version of this, if you're listening to it on your phone or something, you're missing out on some pretty good video right now. Me and Josh actually both have bobblehead dolls of ourselves. We do. Yes, yes. One of our guests from show 170. Andrew uh, Cushman. Andrew Cushman provided those as a, as a gift for, uh, for uh, being a guest. That was really cool of Andrew. But, yeah, that was uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Very, very nice surprise. But yeah, uh, yeah man. Everything, everything's good. Very excited. Today, we've got a, got a very interesting show. 
lots of cool info. Lots of making it's, fun of you. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what happened here, but uh, you know, I think, he, I, I think. Well, so our guest today is actually a, a part-time stand-up comedian who does this in the evenings and weekends, and he decided to go after Josh today for his Detroit <laughs> comments in the past. So, yeah, so it's literally <laughs> like a character assassination for forty-five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, but, some good uh, stuff. It's good, some good stuff in there as well. So yeah, yeah, it's all good. Lots, lots of cool stuff in there. But uh, anyway, before we get into the show, we're we're almost there, huh? By the time this show airs, I think we might have uh, the the final Turner, the next Turner. Yes, by the time this is live, I should have a little baby girl Turner running around. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so cool. next I don't week, think she'll be running. If she is, oh, there's something wrong. Oh, my daughter will come out running. Come on, oh, she's yeah. gonna be a Turner. She'll be talking, right. running. Six foot nine. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bearded face, everything. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So lots, lots of cool stuff going on. Lots, lots happening here at Bigger Pockets HQ. We just brought on yet another hire, our, our uh, head of product, uh, Vignesh. And, and that's very exciting. And uh, we've, we've got a lot of cool stuff planned ahead for everybody, all of our site visitors. We're working on some projects that. Uh, I know we are all very, very excited to bring to you that yeah. uh, I think is going to change a lot of people's businesses. So uh, stay tuned as we announce that. But let's actually talk about a cool little update we've got in today's quick tip. All right. Nice. Today's well done, quick well tip. Thanks. You want me to take it? I'll take it. Okay, you take it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really get to talk a lot during the show. So <laughs> yeah, well, so today's quick tip, guys. We just made some updates to... The Bigger Pockets local networking part of the site, the events part of Bigger Pockets. And you can find that at biggerpockets.com slash events. Uh, now, when you go to the page, you can see local events that are coming up in your area. You can look for events in other areas by zip code, just a, a more cohesive, comprehensive event system. So if you're looking for and a pretty map. Yeah, it's a pretty map. So if you're looking for networking events, uh, go there, biggerpockets.com events. If you don't have a local event in your area, this is a great way to build one, promote it. You know, Go ahead and just create a, a, an event on the platform and uh, you'll get other BP members and other locals to come and, and hang out and talk shop with you. So uh, get out there, uh, get to events, local networking. There's really nothing like it. I mean, networking... Uh, as a keyboard warrior is great, but there's something more to uh, meeting people in person. So make moves and check out biggerpockets.com slash events. There you go. And actually, I used that earlier today and I found out there's one this week in my area, about 30 minutes from my house. So this Thursday night, I'll be going to a local meetup here. So anyway, it, it works because I'm, I'm going. So all right, with that, before we get to the show... We really got nothing else going on, right? This is Man, there's a lot going on, but <laughs> let's go. You know, show. before we get to the show, guys, we appreciate your we listenership. Do. Thank you, thank you. Spread the word. Let people know about the Bigger Pockets podcast, and you know, share share the podcast on your Facebook feed. Tell everybody how much you love us. You know, get out there, tell your friends, your family to start listening, and hopefully, they too will benefit from the show. Hopefully, yes, yes. All right, let's get to this thing. Today's show guest is Charlie Gao. Charlie is a real estate investor in the Michigan area. <laughs> a couple he areas of Michigan. Umbridge in, in my treatment of Detroit, as you will soon find out. And apparently uh, he believes that I have a punchable face. So <laughs> let's, let's bring on Charlie. It's a compliment. And, it's a compliment. And, you know, I, no, seriously, before we, we do, I, 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 all, all kidding aside and all abuse aside, Charlie's a cool guy doing some great things. And, you know, he, he's just a little mean to me. That's all. So <laughs> give him hell, guys. Give him hell. All right, here we With go. That, let's bring him in. What's going on, Charlie? And before I actually let you respond, let me just <laughs> tell the audience that Charlie just said that I have a face <laughs> the kind of face that he just wants to punch. <laughs> that was that was that was kind of interesting, man. It's it's not often that I talk to somebody who wants to sock me. What's going on here, dude? I, I didn't say that exactly. I said you kind of have the face that I would, you know, want to punch. That was the joke. <laughs> so I want to know: wow. Do you think Josh is Josh better looking than you thought he would be, or worse looking than you thought? I think he's actually better looking. So, okay. but. Yeah, I actually do. So, <laughs> not, I mean, better looking for a face you want to punch, though. Of course, okay, so. okay, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, this show is off 
to such a bad start. It's not even funny. You haven't even gotten to the best part yet. It's gonna oh get. Oh my goodness! It's gonna, it's gonna I get am good. Really, really worried. All right. Well, let's let's do this, and and I'm gonna keep in mind that we started off the way we started. So, <laughs> let, let Charlie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you? Why? Why are we even? Ha- why do we have him on the show anyway? What I mean, like this guy should have gotten through our producer. I mean, I guess it's kind of a miracle. I came to the United States fresh off a boat. You know, landed in Detroit, and then uh, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, that explains <laughs> the hostility. No, I, I was going to bring that out now, but I uh, I grew up in Michigan. You know, I I lived away out in California for a bit. I worked as a personal trainer out there. And I had exposure to real estate through my father, who had a number of commercial properties when I was younger. But to be honest, uh, my dad was such a workaholic, it kind of turned me away from that process. So I didn't really pay attention a lot to the process. But when I was out in California, a lot of my clients, they were real estate investors. And so, you know, a lot of times I would constantly be hearing about the deals they were doing. So that's where it kind of really whet my appetite. And then moved back to Michigan about 2007, 2008. And in that time frame, you know, that's when they had these five to forty thousand dollar houses. So it was just kind of a perfect storm to get started. Nice. Five to forty thousand dollar houses, and you are in Detroit. Yes. Are you in like different uh, metro? Or are you in time? I lived in Grand Rapids, so kind of okay. a, a completely different market. But I think I can't remember if it was Forbes, but I've read multiple outlets that have rated Grand Rapids one of the top real estate markets in the country. It's uh, definitely a seller's market. I think uh, my real estate agent there told me right now that there's six sellers for every listing in the county right now in Grand Rapids. Hard to go anywhere but up when you're selling a house for $5,000. Oh, uh, there's a lot it. of places. You could still go down pretty far. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it is true. It's true. That's it's funny. True. Okay, um, so and, now – And to the, so, to the point, by the way, because you, yeah. you open the box here, but like – you know that's that that is why we tell people to heed caution because that house that you buy for $5000 may have you know 20 40 50000 in back liens on it there may be other negatives that that come with the property so you know you really do have to understand what you're getting into a $5000 house isn't always the deal that it looks like and and we've written a lot of articles on that but you know for those people who are like oh my god I'm going to go to Detroit right now you know go it's a great market Detroit is blowing up like crazy but you know, at the same time, there's a lot you need to know, and you got to be real careful. Well, that's one of the things with all with all areas that are lower income. You know, my area is, is not as low as Detroit, probably, but you can buy a house for fifty thousand dollars in my area sometimes. Hey, hey, hey Brandon. Yeah. Hey, Brandon. Huh? Um, we're we're talking about war zones, right? <laughs> because, because not like a war zone. Five minutes. Five minutes before this interview, <laughs> I was watching a video of you in the car with your wife. And a SWAT team was yeah. doing a shootout or something down the block from you. Yeah, I was out driving for dollars this morning, and we saw a SWAT team like pulling. Like, I mean, the whole street was cordoned up. It, it was messed up. There's people everywhere, and the SWAT team was like with their full gear rushing into a house when I was driving by. And it, but that's not normally like that. But that's what you get in lower price areas, apparently. Even though I've never seen that before. But so what I was I say is in these lower price areas, it can be great for rentals potentially, as long as you don't yep. get the SWAT team called in. However, <laughs> like sometimes in those areas, the price, the the value of the property is actually negative. I mean, there's properties, many of them that yep. I would not buy even if somebody paid me five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars because I could put fifty into it and it's only worth fifty at the end of the day. So why why do the hassle? So anyway, just one thing to worry about or look at when you're buying in low income areas. Nice. There you go. Nice. Yeah, quick by, tip by the way, you. as as we're chatting about Detroit, Detroit pops up on my Twitter feed that's in front of me. Detroit is named the best city to start a yoga studio in, according to Entrepreneur. <laughs> well, there you go, Charlie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who needs real so, estate? You know, <laughs> I need real estate. I'm going to go start doing all those pure bares and things like that. You're so. good. All right. Uh, so yeah, if you, <laughs> before you do that, though, we need to know your story. Before you get out yes. and get into yoga, how did you get started with real estate? What was your first deal? So my first deal, I lived in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan at the time, and I was trying to find something closer to where I worked at, which was in Muskegon, Michigan, which is roughly about 45 minutes from where I was at. So I was kind of looking all over at the time, and my real estate agent asked me if I'd be interested in looking at a condo. So the the, the first deal was is so easy. I, I It's not going to be the greatest example, but I literally walked into this place. It was like 8 o'clock at night. The sun was going to go down. And the first thing I did when I walked in was I'm like, what is wrong with this place? I'm not seeing it. There was a creaky floor, but it had a custom bathroom, custom countertop. And I did my research and it actually foreclosed for 148000 
So I told my agent, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to offer on it. Just let me go take a look at it in the morning because I'm wondering if there's something I missed. So I took a look at it the next morning. Uh, I told him, you know, let's offer 38000 on it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good, fair offer. Let's submit it. And I'm like, really? I thought that was kind of <laughs> low. I'm like, well, submit it for 36 then. And so he submitted for 36. <laughs> there was a number of lower offers, actually. But because mine was an owner-occupant offer, I actually got the property. Okay, so your first deal, you lived in it. Did you say yeah. that it foreclosed 148K or 48K? 148K. Wow. Yeah, so it was a, basically a large condominium complex. In Grand Haven, Michigan, is it's Coast Guard City, USA, so it's a very affluent area. It's very difficult to get anything that close to the beach under 100000 Even uh, with a condo, you could, but with a house, there's no way you could get anything under 140000 150000 Got it. So how, how did... Was this an REO that you were offering to the bank or what? Yeah, this was an REO. Okay, got it. So, so that's offer- what kind of started the whole process of uh, kind of doing the live and flips because uh, from working at the bank, I knew that, you know, I may not be able to compete with these investors always on that level where, you know, throwing a cash offer, but most banks have a number of different reserve prices. They have a reserve price for an owner-occupant a reserve price for owner-occupant cash, and then also a higher reserve for an investor and an investor with a mortgage. So knowing that I would do, from that point forward, I always used to take that in place. And I also used to do something where I, I call it price creeping. But what I would do with houses going forward as well is that, uh, let's say that I offer 30,000 the house as a global offer. Every week or so, I'd slowly creep it up a thousand. Because the worst feeling you have is when you get an offer accepted immediately on a house that you think, Gosh, I could have gotten it for lower than that. So I I used to always do that too as well because it's kind of a nice way of knowing, okay, I got the very bottom end of the price that they would get from that. That's awesome. Hey, can you fill us in on on the bank background? What did did you do at a bank? So I worked at two, uh, one nationally very, very large bank, and then another one was a large regional bank too as well that's actually growing pretty significantly. I think it it was probably a top 15 bank in terms of assets in the United States now. And what did Um, you do? started out as basically like a, a teller universal banker working inside of a grocery store bank. And then uh, I got my way up to where I was basically managing four branches by the time I was done. Got it. So you kind of have a little bit of kind of inside working of how the, you know, how loans work, or how banking works a little bit. So that, has that helped you in your career a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things my wife and I always do is that when we look at how we want to make a financial decision, we take into fact, because she actually used to work at a bank too as well. And, you know, we look at like those people that are always overdrafting an account. Like what would they be doing in this situation? And what would the person that's got $100,000 in their bank, you know, 15 investors properties, what would they be doing? And because I got to see these accounts every single day, it kind of guides me on like, you know, what is that millionaire doing with their bank account? Like, you know, are they eating out a lot? And you can see all these things, you know, we don't discuss them in person, but you can see like, you know, the average person that overdrafts account, they eat out a lot. They spend a lot uh, on their credit card. They do a lot of things that the person that is, has large balances of bank account isn't doing. So I, I definitely took a lot from that process, especially the underwriting process, because I learned a lot that not all banks are the same, not all credit unions are the same, and you can't really say that about one bank and do that versus the other. Yeah, yeah. I I used to work at a bank as well back in the day. I mean, I was kind of the same thing. I started as like a personal banker at a bank, and I did loans for you know home equity lines of credit and all that stuff. And yeah, like you kind of get this inside look at what does an underwriter look at? Like, what does debt to income mean? What does loan to value? What credit score do they care about? I mean, it's kind of like a, I like to use this analogy. It's like a combination lock. Like if you can get the combination right, you're going to get your loan approved. You got to know what the combination is and then you got to enter it in correctly. And uh, mm-hmm. anyway, so it's one of the benefits, I guess, of having a job at a bank. You kind of learn those things. Um, just to throw this out there, if people are interested in learning more about that, uh, there is a, just a free ebook that we offer on Bigger Pockets. If you go to biggerpockets.com forward slash bank financing, you can read this ebook. I think it's called like unlocking the, I don't know, 12 steps to unlocking unlimited bank financing or something like that. I don't know. It's just a free book. People can check out no opt-in or anything like that. So check it out. All right. Back to your story. So you started with a condo and you bought this to live in. And uh, what came next? Uh, so that condo, I ended up having to move again for work because I kept getting different promotions. And so I ended up moving back to Grand Rapids. So I rented that place out. I actually had a roommate at that time that was paying my entire mortgage. So that I rented it out to another person who's a teacher 
uh, rented it out for three years. And then the home I bought in Grand Rapids, that was probably my first true flip. Uh, I, I put in about $10,000 of materials, but I did almost all the work myself. And that was kind of what really got me going with, okay, this is what flipping really is. I mean, there was definitely times where I had no running water. I even went one day where my gas got turned off by accident. You know, it, it was definitely a unique process, but I learned a lot about how I want to value my time going forward. And, and at the time, I, was, I think I was only making like $28,000 at the bank. So a lot of the work that these people would charge me, they're charging me $50 an hour. How I would look at it is, well, if I can do this in well, four times the amount of time that you can do it, maybe it makes sense for me to do it myself. Whereas now, income's a lot different. I have to value in, okay, well, can I do, if I take this and I can do it in a half hour and you can do it in 20 minutes, you know, it's not worth it for me to pay myself to do it when I could pay you to do it and your hour pay is less than my hour's pay. Yeah. Yeah. I look at that a lot when I'm doing projects is like, is this worth it? My dollar per hour. I mean, last uh, two weekends ago, I spent like six hours underneath a house doing plumbing. And the only reason why is because we got four bids from people and the cheapest one was like three grand. And I'm like, for, for six hours of work, three grand, I will go under the house. And, and I did it in six hours and it was done. And I, I, mean, I don't do it very often, but at that moment, plumbers were so crazy busy. So they were just charging outrageous rates. So I sucked it up and did it. But yeah, it's very rare for me. That's a yeah. great story. Uh, can we talk <laughs> to our guest here, Charles? Were you living at the flip at the time that you were doing it, this, the second yeah, deal? Yeah, I was living at the flip at the time I was doing it. So, I mean, I literally redid the floor. I did everything. But I, I think one time at one point that the shower, I actually broke off the shower knob when I was trying to basically replace it because it was corroded that bad. Nice. So I literally had to turn off the water and then I had to I get somebody out. And so I was going to a buddy's house uh, maybe a mile away and showering in the morning, but I was sleeping there. Um, so I literally, I got that whole process through. I, it really let me value how I want to pay, what I want to pay for everything. So flooring, I typically like to still do flooring myself because I can do it very quickly. But tile, plumbing, electrical, I always, I always uh, contract that out now. Okay. Got that it. makes sense. Got so, it. so essentially you started out by what we like to call kind of, kind of a different way, but you still start out house hacking. This idea of yeah. using yeah. your initial property as an investment. So even that first condo, even though you lived there, didn't you say you had a roommate, right? Yeah, I did. Okay. So the roommate helped you obviously be able to live for free or you know close to while you were living there. Then you moved out of the property, kept it as a rental, and you moved into a live and flip. Another way to do house hacking is to live and flip. How did that, how did that live and flip turn out at the end of the day? What did you buy it for? And did you make some money on it? Did you sell it or what's it at? I actually, I flipped that house after living it for two years. I think I made after everything, including the transfer taxes, 17000 off of it. Okay. Uh, but I only bought it for uh, thirty seven. and I only put about ten into it. So pretty solid investment in that. And, and then I didn't have to pay taxes on that too because I lived in the home two out of the last five years. And that's actually kind of a strategy we've implemented. Yeah. Can you explain that real quick for people who aren't familiar with that strategy of living in the house for two years? What does that mean? So basically, if you live in the home two out of the last five years, it's like a homestead property exemption. Uh, you do not have to pay taxes on that gain as long as it's under a certain amount. And the amount is so high. I want to say it's like 250000 I don't know the exact amount that I've never even come close to it. But it's yeah. kind of a nice tool because instead of having to pay a lawyer to do a 1031 tax exchange, which can be complex, it's kind of a way that my wife and I have upgraded home slowly. But on the flip side, I think my friends and family think it's crazy that we've moved every two years into a new home. And it's gotten to that point where my wife and I, if we buy a house, I joke around around, all well, the next two years from now, we'll be living in a different house. So you can yeah. make your decision. Then. And so... Well, I, I mean, it's a cool strategy, especially for people just getting started with real estate. Like this ability to buy a house that needs work and you can fix it up. And as long as you live there you know, for a couple of years, you may not have to pay any capital gains tax on the gain at all. And yeah, I've known people like that for 10, 15 years, every two years, they just do it over and over and over again. Of course, we're not CPAs, so make sure you guys consult with a good tax person yeah. for the specific laws and rules on how that works. But uh, yeah, for it's sure. a cool strategy. Sure. So, and I mean, I'd, I'd say it's also likely an easy strategy easier strategy when you're single or or you know with, without kids I, I think you know upending and moving kids every two years can certainly be a challenge i know doing it once in a blue moon is a challenge 
Kind of like having twin newborn preemies a year ago for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This yeah, guy just called you out, Josh. They won't, they won't he just called you, you out. Anything when they're you know 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He's just being combative. Man. It's just <laughs> well, why? Combative. No, I do. I love you. You got, you got the, you know. I just love that face. I just love it. <laughs> I gotta. You know, I love it so much. I want to hit it. <laughs> I got a buddy. If I ever get divorced and get married again, I'm gonna invite you to be in the wedding. Which is nice guy. Like, like <laughs> I have <laughs> I have not yet been invited to attend one of our users' weddings, but I did get this lovely bobblehead. You did get uh, a bobblehead recently, so you know. <laughs> but uh, no, Close that's enough. cool, man. That's cool. All right. Well, I, listen, I I personally wouldn't do it. I know moving once uh, we just moved last year with my kid, and that was difficult and. I can't even imagine moving with twins. Of course, we'll find out soon when Brandon moves after his twins are about to show oh, up. I ain't having twins. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, I, I I couldn't handle twins yet. Yet, how are you handling twins? Is that uh, overwhelming? As I say. Uh, well, how do you think? Do I look tired? You uh, look a little tired. You seem a little grouchy too. <laughs> oh, ouch! Uh, I, I handle pretty good. I don't sleep a lot naturally, but uh, my wife is—I uh, couldn't do without her. She definitely uh, helps out a lot. Well, actually, really, I really help her out a lot, if anything. But uh, yeah, it's—I think right now in the last year we've had a job change, a job loss, a move, and preemie twins. So from here, it, it can't get any more stressful. And you're you're in the middle of a house flip right now, right? Or several, right? Uh, two house flips right now. Okay, yeah, so why we'll, not create more work for you? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not do a little chaos. more? <laughs> we we've gotten to that point now where um you know kind of getting the idea of the wife on board. I really am trying to automate this uh so that way my wife can manage it. So over the last couple of years, we've slowed down a little bit so I could kind of teach her everything she knows. Because at this point, I have a job that has a very significant W-2 income. And in addition to that, because of a health scare I had a number of years ago, I don't think I want to go the fully real estate employed route just because uh, I'm not sure if I could get health benefits from any insurance company. So that's kind of something we've considered. So my wife is kind of taking over. She just got a real estate license and she's kind of been able to manage that. We still run into the issues of contractors trying to charge a ripoff prices, but you know, nothing that any other female I think has probably dealt with in that case, which is unfortunate that that actually happens as much as it does. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you work in a full-time W-2 job. Uh, your wife is getting her license. You're flipping two houses. How many deals are you doing now? I mean, you, you so it sounds like 07, 08 was kind of the beginning, you know, we're, we're at what, seven, eight years now you've been doing this. What have you accomplished in the time that you've been involved in real estate? So I'm on deal 15 and 16 right now. We had, uh, I think the most I've done in, in, in is one year is three. Uh, this year I just sold one. So I guess I'm going to close on three houses this year and hopefully acquire one or two more. And um, that idea flips of or rentals? Uh, flips. We uh, Because I had some uh, health scare a number of years ago. One of the nice things about the real estate is that this health scare that I had, um, it would have crippled me financially if I was not able to invest in real estate. But uh, because of that, um, I really didn't come away with any debt. But I, I pretty much had to uh, commit almost a year's of my salary just towards medical expenses a number of years ago. Wow. So we sold off a portion of our portfolio to pay for that. That really slowed us down. I think we only did one each of those years. Um, and then unfortunately, I wish we could have held on to those because three of the rental properties that we sold, if I could have just held on to it now, I, I probably could, I could have quit my job now because of the amount of the rental appreciation that's been in that area in comparison to what I had bought it for, I'd be making probably, I think, $2,800 in, in uh, net after all my expenses, and that's including a property management company. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, that yeah. is one of the benefits of real estate, right? It gives you the, that, that freedom to be able, when things happen, when crap hits the fan, I mean, you've got the ability to, hey, I've got this income, I've got this asset I can sell over here to be able to pay for my life or while my job is going to these things. So I, I mean, just another benefit that we don't really talk about much, but it really is a powerful uh, asset to have. So that's very yeah. cool. Well, cool. All right. So you've been doing mostly, it sounds like mostly flips, but a few rentals in there as well. Is that right? Yes. All right. So let's talk about your average. When you're doing a flip, how do you, first of all, how do you find properties? And then, you know, what price range are you looking in? 
at the beginning, it was definitely a multiple listing service, so MLS. My real estate agent, a lot of times I would be getting uh, properties that were actually his listings. Uh, a lot of times he could let me know like, okay, I have a property. I'm probably about to get on the market. So I could vet the deal very quickly to figure out you know, what I needed to do for get funds. More recently, I've been doing a lot with bird dogging. So um, the, you know, the mailman, the one I found that's been very successful is actually the foundation specialist because they're Ooh. dealing with these people that have you know, 20 to 30,000 foundation problems and they're not going to be able to sell it to a typical investor because they won't get it approved with conventional financing. The other thing too is that my background at the bank is that I've heard or known of a number of instances where uh, condos. So for example, most condos are not FHA eligible just because of the, the HOA requirements. And in a number of instances, if a HOA is doing poorly or about to go bankrupt, they won't even be eligible for financing for conventional. So it's only cash buyers, which I picked up a property condo, $17,000. Um, that number of years, two years before that, I was selling for sixty to 80000 specifically for that reason. So those type of deals have been very influential for me. And then what's better now is that now that I don't work at the bank, I don't have to worry about uh, it being a... I think it's like a non-compete agreement or I, I'm not supposed to purchase properties that the bank owns in that sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I, w- I want to dig in on the mailman and foundation specialist thing. You know, we talk a lot about marketing. We talk a lot about, you know, just putting the word out to your network. But, uh, and I think we've already heard somebody talk about mailman as a source of leads, but uh, foundation specialists. I mean, that's that's really creative. Can you kind of dig in a little bit more on that? So I had uh, basically three guys come out to my house in quote. And the last guy that came out, he really, really wanted the deal. He was young and hungry. He had only been in business for two years. And he actually worked for one of the other people that had quoted me. And, you know, I, I told him like, you know, honestly, I'm not sure why I would go with you because, you know, you said you worked for this company, they trained you. So if you're doing a good job, I can imagine that they're probably doing just as a good job, not better. Plus I have this company where, you know, if the bank or the person buying the house sees, hey, this basement system company worked on the foundation, I know that they're reputable. I've never heard of that. It's just one last question I have to deal with. And so he said, well, he basically just asked straight up, asked me like, well, how can I add more value to you? And I'm like, well, this job you quoted me for six thousand dollars like how often do you run into projects that people can't afford it and and then he basically brought up like you know all the time actually and so i'm like so what happens in those cases he's like well we we offer financing to them if we can but if we can't then uh i, I pretty much just don't get the job and i'm like well how about you just you know letting that person know that you know maybe they could go through uh, somebody to purchase a home from them and then maybe alleviate that problem, maybe even allow them to still live in the house. So one of my first purchases from that, I actually allowed the person to stay in the home afterwards. They were paying me basically what their mortgage was anyways, but because I got my mortgage at today's rates, which were absolutely low and a better price, I was able to net money right off of it. They treated it like their home, and then we were able to get the foundation fixed. And I ended up making about thirty-five thousand off that property when I finally sold it. Wow! On top of the cash flow I was getting from it, so that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is a clever idea. I mean, like if you, I mean, it wouldn't even be just, I mean, foundation guys especially, but roofing too. I mean, I'm gonna talk to some of the roofing contractors I know and just say, hey, if you've got leads, you know, like here, give them my business card. You know, like uh, I just think it's a fantastic idea because a lot of people can't afford those ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, you know, uh, expenses on their house. So they just let it go forever till they finally lose it. So yeah, very clever. I like that a lot. Yeah, we and I applied that to uh, septic, like uh, pretty much everything, any, any type of major job of uh, framing. I definitely have done with framing for sure, too. But the foundation, especially the guy in particular, he's my biggest lead. And the best part about it, too, is that I don't even have to pay him for the referral. He just is happy that I'm going to get him this big job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's that kind of a what, great idea. Yeah, that's yeah. what networking is all about. You know, like you scratch their back, they scratch yours. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's awesome. So very, very cool. All right. So let's let's talk about your, you know, more recent stuff. So like number wise, like what are you buying a flip for? What are you typically putting into them? And what are you typically selling them for? You know, it's not really a cookie cutter. It's kind of all over the board. I can get a condo for under $20,000. I can get, you know, I'm working, the flip that I'm working right now, I bought for $60,000. It's actually very close to a lake. It, it's pretty 16 much 16 or 60? 60. Okay. So not not quite into Detroit yet, but we're we're getting close to there. So okay, 
And then uh, I think I the most expensive property I bought that I flipped was probably seventy seven thousand. Okay. Um, and- so I'm kind of in that price range where I'm comfortably paying cash for properties now at this point, or at least my offer is cash, even though I'm finding different ways to actually obtain the financing for that to offer cash. And what is that? I mean, how do you how are you buying them if you're uh, you know what financing methods are you using? You know, I've done, well, the Burr method. So I basically use a home equity line of credit off of my current home to basically draw money off of that to do that um, and pay for the house. I've done, you know, 0% interest credit card offers. I think all my credit cards, I have very high balances on that as well. Barring a little bit of private funds from family. I am very familiar with which banks do underwriting with verified assets and which ones don't. So that's been another asset I've used uh, alone before that was $35,000, no verification income, just stated income assets. And then it was basically closed in three days. I had to pay a higher interest rate for it, but it was no questions asked. Really? Um, I didn't know that stated income loans were happening at all anywhere as long as it's not attached to a mortgage which would make it apply under nina like the, the no income no asset loans for mortgages but uh it's just a general unsecured loan actually discover still does them i know of right now because i did one just recently got it yeah. so you're just getting unsecured business line and you're using it towards your real estate you're not getting a real estate specific loan on a particular property Yeah. And then kind of a a quick tip. One of the things that I think is very important is that understanding the underwriting process is that there are a number of banks that it is an automatic computer decision for the type of loan. So when you ask, in my case, especially if you're self-employed, there are a lot of times where the bank will immediately say, nope, you're denied and the computer makes the decision. You can't go back on it. But there's a number of other large banks too, where there's called a second pass, which means that a person will look at that and say, okay, you know what? This may not meet our guidelines, but it does pass the eyeball test. So they will still allow that loan to go through. And I can tell you that it is, it's one of the first things you should know up front before doing your credit asking a bank is that if this loan is not approved initially, would I uh, have opportunity to appeal that? Or is there a second person that takes a look at it to see if it might still qualify? And you'd be surprised how often you you get those pre-approval letters in the mail, you go through it and the computer turns it down and then you've had a ding to your credit. Whereas I, the credit union I work with right now, for example, they actually have two people look through, especially because of the relationship I've developed with them. And so I always go through them knowing that if the deal is tight, they're going to give me that benefit of the doubt based on that relationship. It's always a second and third pass with that underwriting system that they have. Okay. Got it. Got it. And, and you're just talking about the ding because they, they had to pull your credit. Pull it's your not credit. like a yeah. penalty because you got denied or anything. Yes. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So first of all, I want to point out that I like the fact that you're very creative in how you finance these deals. I mean, you've yeah. used a, a lot of different methods. I think that's, I mean, that I've said that a million times before, but it's, it's very much like a toolbox. The more tools you have in your toolbox, the more projects you can take on. So you, you definitely have a lot of tools in kind of your mental toolbox. So I uh, applaud you for that. What is your favorite way to finance a deal? I mean, do you have something that you're like, man, if I could only do this the rest of my life, I mean, besides cash, if you're just loaded, like what's your favorite? Oh, I, I just kind of started exploring Harmony Loan, so I don't know if that's going to be. But the one that I've really done recently is I actually max out my 401k through work. So I've actually established a pretty high balance in there. They will actually allow me to do, I think it's a 3.25% loan. And it's taken out of my check, but they'll allow me to take up to 75%. So basically, I'm getting two investments out of it. Every dollar I put in is getting invested into my 401k into stocks and mutual funds. But then 75% of that I can draw back out kind of like a, it's like a self-directed 401k, but it's not because I'm just taking it as a loan. So I'm getting two investments out of the same dollar that I'm putting in. And so that's actually been my favorite method. So I'm getting, you know, seven to 8% out of my portfolio and then the company stock plan. But then on top of that, I'm also investing in basically real estate, rental properties and such, which has allowed me to basically make further income off of that. So if you add all my gains off of that same dollar I've invested, I'm getting 40 cents in that dollar back on an annual basis off of it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. I've I've not done that, but uh, it's smart. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day. 
with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day. 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, so let me move on to kind of the last little question set that I have for you. I want to talk about losing money because you mentioned just when we were talking before the show uh, that right now you're in the middle of a flip that you're not going to make a lot of money on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, if we were to break even on this deal, I would be overjoyed. But, you know, there's a lot of factors to it, and you know, not to make excuses. But there's one of the things is that my wife and I, we moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Novi, Michigan. And so I didn't count. I, I knew exactly what I would pay in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but I realized that what I'd be paying would be more expensive in a bigger market. So that alone, 10 to 20 percent right off the top. And then I didn't realize that how long it would take me to get my team or my boots on the ground. So in Grand Rapids, I I could pretty much find a new drywall guy, a new framer pretty quickly because I had such a big book and I underestimated how long it would take me to get going with my group there. The other thing that this is probably the biggest issue is that where I'm at the properties in Wolverine Lake, it's only a township of 2,000 people. The inspector that does all the inspections for our work, he works two hours, one day a week while he's working for the next township next door. So <laughs> if we don't get something done on by Tuesday, we got to wait a whole nother week. And wow. so literally I've spent two to three months just waiting for this guy just to come out. And I mean, I've done everything. I've like brought the girls donuts to like, Hey, you know, cause you remind <laughs> them, you know, sending them emails. I even had my wife bring the twins in there and wait for him because he was notorious for not coming in during his lunch on that Tuesday anyways. And the the work, this house was so notorious. It was so well known in this super small town, even though it's only 25 miles away from Detroit, that there's no way I could have gotten away with doing anything off book. Like, I mean, my neighbor across the street told me that, um, well, not my neighbor, but the neighbor to that house said that she just did the roof on the weekend and the person to come out. There's no way I could have done anything like that. Every step of the process 
had to be to a T to what the inspector wanted because he had already had this eye out on this property for a number of years anyways. And it was it was such a hole that <laughs> people used to be like, oh, you know that house over there with the, the dump truck and all the junk? I live two blocks over that. They use it as a landmark. <laughs> a landmark. Nice. That's how bad it was. That's awesome. Um, on top of that, um, I had a contractor that worked for me, did a lot of sub jobs for me and smaller jobs. Based off of the work he had done in the past, I thought he would have been able to do this job, but it was just too much. He bit off more than he could chew, and then that just delayed things as well. That He didn't get along with the inspector, which was even worse, but a whole slew of factors. And that and the fact that you know we were trying to balance a new job, new you know new home, as well as newborn kids too as well. So, I mean, I definitely learned a lot from it. I won't make a lot of those mistakes again, and... If I can restrict it to maybe a you know ten to fifteen k loss, I would still consider it a success because I've learned every process of building a house from the ground up, including the tear down, of what all the permit requirements are too as well. Hey Charlie, I'm I'm glad you brought all that up. It's some really really good points there. I t- I took a few notes. So one, considering the cost of work in a different market that you know we're not talking going from Detroit to New York. You're talking about how far is the the town you worked in, Grand Rapids. It's a two-hour time frame, but and one of the things that contributes to it is that it's such a rural area that, or not really a rural area, but it's it's just a difficult spot to get to. That even though it's a five-mile drive for some people, that's a thirty-minute drive. So they have to factor that in when they quoted me prices too, as well. So just a lot of factors, and then also this was actually my first flip I ever dealt with that was septic and well. Gotcha, okay. gotcha. Yeah, but so I guess my my point is. There's all these considerations that I'm I'm glad you brought up. You know that that you know going from more urban to more rural area, uh, there's going to be different factors you've got to consider. The time to get a new contractor, time to get new vendors, the inspector. I mean, that's that's a huge one. If if there's one guy who's inspecting the entire town one day a week for two hours, that's a real pain. I mean, that that's going to slow down your process presumably if if they have to come and approve things over and again, and and so. You know, I, I love this. I, I think it's really easy for us to say, yeah, flipping a house is, you know, is great. And once you figure it out, you figure it out. But, you know, you've, you've been doing this and despite it, you're still learning because, you, you know, little tweaks that you make, you may not have uh, adjusted for or, or uh, planned for the complications that come with it. So I, I just want to reiterate that for, for those folks that are listening because it, it just it really it, in the beginning, it's scary and you're always afraid that you're going to screw up. And, you know, a lot of people never get started because of that. And what you realize once you're doing this for a while is you're going to screw up. Things are going to happen. You use it as a learning experience and you make sure you don't ever screw up again doing the same thing. And yeah. it's a victory, right? Mm-hmm. Well, moral victory, I guess, with what I'm going to learn from it. But <laughs> yes. not not pocketbook victory, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what? Sure. Like, yeah, I feel like every time, I mean, I've lost money on a couple flips and I'm doing a flip right now that I'll break even on. I might make a few thousand bucks maybe, but like, I always, like, I don't, I don't hate doing, I don't regret doing any of those. Like, I mean, even the one I'm working on right now, like I'm working with a brand new partner on it. We figured out a ton of stuff in the process in a new town that I'm not used to flipping in and we're figuring stuff out. So, I mean, yeah, even if I break even, even if I had lost money on it, I would still consider it a win because because of this partnership, we got another one under contract we'll make 50 grand on, you know, hopefully. And so, like, again, it's all just, when you look big picture, it's not the end of the world. And I hope that people know that are listening to this, that, you know, not to get scared away from the fact that you might someday lose money. You shouldn't just be, you know, fearful of it. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Let me ask you that. I mean, there is so many different factors for it. One, I def- I, I don't think we would have rushed into as what as much we did. I think it was part of, we hadn't done a deal in like a year. And I think it was that urgency, like, oh, we got to get a deal. And I know a lot of new investors I see in bigger pockets, like, you know, it's time to do, time to do a deal. I, I think you have to go back until you have to be humble enough to keep remembering what got you to where you were in the first place. So I, I should have gotten the vendors in place for sure, which that could have been a little bit difficult because you're not working off any referrals, but you also can't call the guys on Google because they're not going to be priced anywhere where you want to do it. Um, so vetting that more, I would have utilized bigger pockets contacts for sure. In hindsight, uh, with what I know now, I've, I've learned that quite a bit. And then I called the inspector. I actually spoke with them and I actually had a relationship with the office even more, but I would have done even more due diligence with that small town because I didn't, I, it never occurred to me that it's a possibility some dude who's an inspector only works two hours a week. <laughs> like, you're killing me. I mean, He's living the Tim Ferriss life, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, oh, I mean, man. and it's literally on his lunch break. That that was probably the most frustrating aspect of it. And we had a period of time where he wouldn't. I had told him, I'm like, I'll pay whatever amount I need you, but I do not have a roof on the house. I need you to prove the framing so I can put the roof on. And he basically didn't do anything, so it got rained on for six days oh, in a row. So, so we we tarped it, but I mean, there's only so much you could put a uh, tarp on a roof without you know keeping the water out in that aspect. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And again, obviously, hopefully it's all uphill from there. But anything before we move on to the fire round that you want to add any kind of, you know, stories or anything that that you think people might uh, like hearing or learning from? I got a kind of a funny story and I actually didn't mention this, but um, I did do a, a land contract and it, it was the biggest disaster ever. But I think you'll find this funny. So I had a uh, a guy that did plenty of great work for me, did roofing, tile, and he came to me and he's like, hey, Charles, my wife from Mexico is actually moving to the United States and I need to put her up in her house. And I was like, Eduardo, I've met your wife. Like, you you're, you have a wife and two kids. You live over on, you know, <laughs> and he comes up to me and, you know, it gets even closer and he's like, so... My wife doesn't know about my wife in Mexico. <laughs> oh and so gosh. I'm like, well, 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 what, so what, well, what do you want me to do? What? I mean, like, I, I don't know. My wife ever found out that I was helping you hide one wife from the other. I just <laughs> I So he's like, this house that I'm fixing right now, like, what are your plans with it? I'm like, I'm either going to rent it or land contract it. Um, and, you know, he's like, well, can... I land contract off of you. I'll do the roofing and the, you did like about $5,000 worth of labor. I paid for the materials. And so long story short, his wife ended up not moving from Mexico because he ended up get, you know, getting her to stay there. But then he put in <laughs> two tenants that basically uh, did not pay him money. So then I had to for close on him essentially uh, because we had to record it to keep the city off our backs uh, from you know housing code. And then on top of that, then I had to turn around and get these tenants out. And the tenants stole all, all the appliances uh, on the way out. So oh, man. another learning experience. But even with your contractors, and I, this has happened to me twice now, and I, I, which is a little bit different scenario both times. But even though your contractors have done good work for you and you trust them, you still got to continue to vet them every and every bit of the process. I mean, I would have never taken no money down. But considering that he had done a number, a lot of the labor, as well as he had done all his other work for me in the past, I felt I could have trusted him. But it just didn't work out in that scenario. Yeah, wow. yeah, and yeah. and never hide a wife in Mexico <laughs> would be another tip, right? Oh, yeah. you know, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, by the way, yeah, I think the the idea like. When you, when you go outside of the bounds of what your business normally is, you know, when you do things like that, like I'm going to help out a buddy, I'm going to help out a contractor yeah. friend of mine. Like those are the times in my life I've always been screwed is when I go outside yep. of how it should be done and try to help out other people. I mean, my, my lead contractor is the one that burned down my property last year. Like he was yeah. rented from me and burned it down and cause he was angry. And it was, I mean, yeah, anyway, yeah. I always, I always rules. try to keep those lines and and I, you know for me it's like i'm going to keep it very clear you're going to go through the exact same process as that anyone else yeah you're my first cousin or you're my you're my this or that i'm not going to give you any you know you're not going to get treated any differently here than anyone else if you expect that let's not even start and yeah. and i think that's a that's a good precursor to kind of getting into bed with with friends family contractors whatever it is that you do yeah Wise yeah. words from Josh Dorkin. Oh yes. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, hey, let's uh let's move on to the next segment of the show called the fire it's round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to the questions. Number one, how would somebody figure out how to remodel a flip to make it more appealing to buyers? In other words, how do I know what to do to the property in order to get it to sell the best? You know, my wife would probably like this answer, but I think a lot of the ideas that she gets, she kind of handles that aspect. Is uh, she does a lot with Pinterest? She does. She watches a lot of HDTV. But I think those really help you keep a pulse on what's trendy, and trendy is what sells houses, especially to the, the female buyer or the people that are, I think, are willing to spend more. So I, I would definitely use those resources uh, to kind of get an idea from that. Outside of that, I think you know a lot of it's just common sense. You know, it just you got to factor in. You know, if I move this, if I add a bathroom here, 
is the market going to support a $5,000 increase if it cost me $5,000 to put it in? There right you go. on. Right on. Cool. Is Next question. Is house hacking the safest way you would excite somebody about investing in real estate? I definitely don't think so if you're a, you know, a more affluent person because I generally think that when you're house hacking, you're typically house hacking, in my experience, in B or C areas, not the A areas. So it, it may be difficult for somebody to give up you know, their nice house in the hills to go live in a condo or a duplex next to somebody that you know is, you know, I don't want to insult you know Josh Dorkin or something like that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Josh has got nothing. Nothing. Just shaking uh, his head. Know, I, I don't know how much money you paid this guy, Brandon. But... <laughs> My God, uh, I do know people who have house hacked. Like I have some friends that live down in Portland in a very expensive area, like in the town of Beaverton in this nice, really nice area, spent a lot of money in their house and their house has a basement apartment that they bought and they bought the house with their in-laws, like my, my friend's in-laws and the in-laws live in the basement. They live in the top and they split all the rent. And so they live, they're living cheaper than I am in a much better neighborhood, much better town, like, uh, you know, much more expensive house. So it, it can be done in those better areas, but yeah, typically I see it. You know, like I started this crappy little duplex in a C-class area. Yeah, I, I feel somebody would know off the bat if they were open to it. I, I don't think it's one of those things you would bring up to somebody because I feel like most people have already kind of considered that process, especially with duplexes and whatnot. So yeah. the other thing too is that if you have a a very large home, like there's no way my wife would ever let somebody live with us with two kids. I mean, that's just yeah. not going to happen. So if you have a family, that's, I think that's kind of a non-consideration. Yeah. How's that different unless you, everyone, unless you have that separate, yeah, unless you had that separate, you know, uh, yeah. you know, like a, a in-law suite or something, you know, off to the side. So yeah, there you go. All right. Number go. three, what should someone look out for when they're dealing with an HOA? If they've never had to, you know, never dealt with that before, what should they look out for if they're going to deal with a homeowners association, kind of committee people pets if they're allowed what's required for it if you can rent them because there's a number that don't allow it yeah age requirement which is an obvious one and then lastly the actual financial status of the hoa itself so going back to the example i had if you have an hoa that is almost going bankruptcy then you have an issue where now anybody who wants to buy that house from you down the road when you want to liquidate it they have to pay cash which that's going to drive everything down in the area so knowing whether it's in good financial condition is a big one too as well. And then also I like to see what assessments they've done over the last five years. If they're happy with assessments like, you know, assessment for siding. Hey, I, I have a brick condo. Why am I paying that? Or upgrading a second floor deck. Well, I'm a, I'm a first floor deck. That's just giving me more shade. Those are the things I would probably focus on most. Nice. Good nice. I, I, I want to add one that I haven't heard mentioned uh, in, in a lot of our shows when we've talked about HOAs. A lot of HOAs are restrictive on the exterior of the property, particularly when we're talking about like a home in an HOA area. So, you know, the home may have to fit specific requirements, specific criteria for what it's got to look like. You can't paint it a different color. You can't, you know, do the lawn the way you want to do the lawn. You can't, you know, landscape it the way you want to landscape it. So, you know, there's there's a whole lot to consider when you're looking at an HOA. Just make sure you're up to speed on it if you're doing that. Actually, that is a good one because I read the entire HOA documents anyways, but I almost yeah. bought a condo once that required that if you were on the second or third floor, you could not have regular floor and you had to have carpet. Mm, interesting. Uh, and that was unique too. So, Yeah, yeah it's yeah, important. I think, I think the, the key there is make sure you read the read documents. Read the docs. Read the docs. Yeah, read them because uh, yeah. you never know. Yeah, I just cool. I, I got a lead last week on a on a vacation property out of the beach. This cool little house out there. They wanted fifty grand, which was nothing. I was like, oh great. And then I find out that yeah, you can't rent the property. Period. Not vacation rental. Not monthly rental. Nothing. So there screw that. Yeah. All right, number four. Our right, last question, number four. What is a comfortable amount of flips a new investor should try and achieve in their first year? That's an interesting one. One. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I would just focus on that first one. If you're thinking ahead, then you're you're probably not having the right focus. I, I just really think, you know, like my wife and I, we do an exercise, and this is going to kind of plug into when we get into fury questions. But we do an exercise by Brian Tracy where it's basically write all the good list of all the goals that you want to accomplish in your life, and then from that. If you could accomplish any one of those goals in the next 24 hours, which one of those would impact your life the most? And so 
you know, looking at that, I really just think it's, you know, it's just one. I mean, get that first one out of the way and then let's see what happens from there. I mean, if you take a $5,000 loss and you're still trying to get on these five flips a year because you set that goal, then that's not realistic. You need to be able to adjust your goals as it happens. Shockingly good advice from the man with the forked tongue. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That wraps up our fire round. Now let's move on to the famous four. Famous four. All right. These questions are asked every week to every guest. And I know, Charlie, you listen to the show, so you know what's coming. But number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? You know, I read so much and it's going to be cliche to see the, the Robert Kiyosaki. But what I would say is that for my job, I drive probably four or five hours a day. I really treat bigger pockets as like a university on its own. So what I mean by that, and I've said this in the forums, is that I've calculated that I do three podcasts a day is what I listen to on average. And it's not always a bigger pockets because I've gotten through them. But if you look at that 15 of those a day, that's almost equivalent to a 15 credit course. I've kind of treated bigger pockets university as kind of a course. So I would actually say bigger pockets would be really my favorite at this point because everything else I've read was kind of stuff that got me started and, you know, little things I've picked up along there. Not that I don't read. It's just that I think I'm learning the most right now from bigger pockets right now. And so why not utilize all these free resources? That's awesome. I love it. That's awesome. So speaking of which, what do you, what do you actually do for a living? We, I don't think we actually asked that. And, uh, what is your job right now where you drive around so much? I sell drugs to older <laughs> people like your grandma for a living. You're a drug dealer. <laughs> yes, legally. Okay, okay. just making sure we got that on the record. You're, that, a, you're, a, you're a drug not, dealer. But not like Colorado, Washington drug dealer. You're like a pharmaceutical, correct? Like prestige worldwide type of drugs. Oh. <laughs> the expensive ones. Expensive ones, yeah. So uh, I work uh, in a, I work for one of the largest medical device pharmaceutical companies in the world, and I, I'm primarily in the immunology sector, so I do have highly specialized medications. Oh, very okay. cool. Very cool. Awesome. All right. So let's get let's get back to the famous four questions here. Favorite business book? Brian Tracy, Maximum Achievement. It's kind of more of a motivational book than anything, but I think he has a lot of exercises, a lot of things that help put things in perspective, but more importantly, help you with focusing in on what's most important to you. Cool. Right on. I just read Brian Tracy's uh, Psychology of Sales, which was fantastic. So I'll have to pick up that one as well. Cool. Nice. Nice. Number three. All right. My number three, uh, hobbies. What do you do for fun? I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, so uh, I like to do all kinds of sports, uh, skydiving, you name it. I also have done some stand-up comedy where I part of my oh. act is I basically just rip on people in the crowd. So unfortunately, <laughs> you, my act today. You don't have much of a career, my friend. Oh, come on. Come on. I think it's going to be longer to live than that Japanese car that you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> got something uh all right um number uh, number four what do you believe charlie gao what do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who give up fail or never get started i think the the biggest thing is knowing how to overcome that you're going to have a a point where there's going to be a setback whether it's at the very beginning or at the end so it's appropriately responding to that setback, but more importantly, making sure that it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, in my field, you know, when I'm selling drugs to people, I get questions all the time about my drugs and they, I don't know the answer, but I used to always, I always tell my clients that, you know, this is going to be the last time I do not know the answer. And I kind of like it in it to my approach towards real estate. This is going to be the last time I make the mistake because I'm going to learn from it. So I guess that's what I would say outside of the cliche, you know, motivational and all that stuff with what I would say otherwise. Cool. Right on. Excellent. Excellent. All right, man, before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? Just launched uh, my website. Uh, so um, I buy houses, Michigan.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook and all the social media stuff, but uh, probably the easiest way is actually bigger pockets. I do. I'm starting to contribute a lot more on the site more recent as more recently. Perfect. There you go. There you go. And do you have a uh, website for your failing comedy business? Uh, no, but, uh, I'll probably uh, put this in the front page for it. Cause I think this is pretty funny, especially can all the viewers see your facial re- reactions to all this? <laughs> if they're watching uh, on YouTube, gonna, yes. I'm going to do like one of those like quick one second snaps where you can see your face and as it progresses from like <laughs> agony to like sadness to just my disdain, man. It's too. just disdain. No, oh. this is, listen, we, we definitely appreciate it. All joking aside, great stuff. You know, congrats on all the success and good luck to you. And, and obviously I, I give you a hard time about your 
comedy business because you're just terrible. But that aside, <laughs> you know, good, good luck having tomatoes thrown at you next time you're on stage. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Well, it was really good having you today. We will definitely see you around Bigger Pockets. Hey, Charlie. Bye. Take it easy, man. Take it Bye. easy. Bye. All right, guys, that was Charlie Gao. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you weren't cringing as much as I was at the <laughs> abuse that I took. And hopefully you learned a thing or two as well. But yeah, good guy, you know, doing some cool things. And, and as we had just talked about towards the end of the show, you know, it doesn't matter how many deals you've done. I mean, there's always uh, things that can happen. There's always yep. uh, complications that you didn't quite think about. And so, you know, keep an eye out for that and, and be ready for it. Uh, you know, the, there's no way to avoid completely uh, being surprised, I think. And, and, and I think that's one of the big lessons that I, I walk away from this, this one with. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, it, it's just nice to see it's, it's very real. You know, it's not always just what you might hear on, on a podcast. You know, you, you always like, you know, on Facebook, you just see the highlights of somebody's life. Like, yeah. they're always doing great things. On BP, sometimes it feels like that too. Yeah. Everyone's doing all this cool stuff and I'm struggling here. You know, like, but the reality is we're all struggling. We're all just trying to make it in this, in this game and there's ups and downs to everyone's life. And so it's just kind of nice to hear Charlie's story of the entire, entire thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. cool. All right, man. Well, good stuff. Good show. On to the next one. On to the next one. I'm going to go out and have a baby. Oh, good, good luck. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> you got this. Is it he, he, this. who, or who, who, he? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I have not experienced such things. So, you know, there you go. Good luck. I don't know. I got to figure that out. Second, coach, my, <laughs> coach my lady friend get here. Get your bag. Get your bag. Get your bag. Get your escape bag, whatever they call it these days. <laughs> I got it. We're good. All right, you're set. All right, man. Good luck to you. All right, see you to around. our listeners. Thanks, thanks for everything, and we'll see you next time on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.